Hello, and welcome to the Bible Made Easy podcast. I'm your host, Kelly, and I'm here to help you understand what you just read in the Bible. Hello, everyone. I am so glad you're on this journey with me. If you are new, welcome. If you have any questions on how the podcast is laid out, you can listen to my introduction episode. And everyone is welcome to go to my website, bmepodcast.com, to drop me a note ask any question, or just get up to date on the podcast with the resources I have there, including links to all of my pop culture references. Welcome to week 44. We are in John chapters 11 through 12, Luke chapter 17 verses 11 through 19, Matthew chapters 19 through 22, and Mark chapters 10 through 12. Timeline is 30 AD. We will start in John chapter 11. We start our week off with the story of Lazarus, the man who was the brother of Mary and Martha, yes, those two, and was a genuine friend of Jesus. He is dying, and Jesus receives word of this and simply says that this sickness will not return in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And no one around Jesus understood what he meant, and we can see that by the interactions with the disciples and later Mary and Martha as it came to pass that Lazarus not only dies, but he stays dead and is in the tomb for four days. Now, why is that time significant? Because in those times, people believed you could still rise from the dead after three days. So by being in there for four days, all hope from anyone that he would be raised were gone. So when Jesus comes back, not having said the word as we have seen in the past or gone to the house immediately and spoke for the person to rise, he in fact delays his coming by two days and everyone is really upset. They're confused and frustrated, and they do not understand why Jesus would react this way. Martha is the first to confront Jesus when he gets there about this and is someone who is resigned but still really confused by Jesus's actions. And because she is a rational thinker, doesn't fully understand what Jesus means and thinks he is talking about the end resurrection where all believers will come together. She calls for her sister Mary, who is a bit more public with her emotions, and lets Jesus know what she was thinking. Kelly side note. At this time as well, when it talks about mourners, when someone died, you would hire professional mourners who would scream, cry, and carry on over your loss. And while Jesus is trying to get the sisters and his disciples to truly understand who he is and the power that he holds, he still feels deeply for them as he loves them and it hurts to see their pain. So in front of his inner circle, other disciples, the professional mourners, and the general public, Jesus calls Lazarus' name at the opening of the tomb and tells him to come out. And then, where I know I get my mummy Im imagination from, Lazarus dressed in the linen strips and death clothes come walking out. And I can't even imagine what Lazarus thought of this whole thing. But everyone understood not only that they had witnessed a miracle, but an act that could only be done by God himself. So, of course, the Pharisees were upset. And through the help of their high priest, Caiaphas, trying to undercut Jesus' ministry was just not enough. And now he absolutely had to die. Then we go on to Luke 17. As Jesus is going about, he heals 10 men with leprosy, 10, and yet only one returns, a Samaritan. Just think of the parallels of this. Not only back then that the Jews were not thankful for him, but the rest of the world would be. But think of how much we just expect Jesus to do something for us and forget to give thanks when he does provide the healing. Those are my toes as well. And then Jesus starts to prepare his disciples for the future. And while he has discussed what was going to happen with him at the time, here he is discussing what will happen in the future, a future we haven't yet seen. Jesus tells us that there will be people saying that he is back. <clears throat> Think of all the people who have called themselves Jesus. But that wouldn't be him. In fact, when he comes back, it's going to be epic. 
in every sense of the word. And we know people won't be prepared for it as people will be doing what they are doing even now. Eating, drinking, marrying, having babies, buying, selling, all the daily tasks that we do, just like in Noah's day. But unlike when the rain started with Noah, Jesus says there will be light and the sky will be lit up and two people will be in a bed and one will be taken and the other will remain. People will be working and one will be taken and the other won't. Then come to more parables, which are important as they teach us how we should behave in various situations that we will find ourselves in during life. One of them is the persistent widow. And the lesson there is that we need to cry out to God with all of our issues because he is better than the wicked judge. He hears our cry and he will answer with the best judgment possible. We would always understand the answer, just that he would hear us and he would answer. And then we see how we are to not act as people who say they follow Jesus. We are not to think too highly of ourselves and how we see our own actions. That is not what God wants. But he wants us to humble ourselves and realize that every good thing we have comes from him and should be grateful and in turn, when we see someone struggling, to have compassion and prayer for that person. In Matthew 19 through 21, Mark 10 and Luke 18, Jesus discusses divorce. I know there are a lot of opinions on this, and I would encourage you to read what Jesus says and pray to God for help on anything that may upset you or hurt your feelings. And I am not saying that flippantly. I say that as someone who has read many things in the Bible that does that to me. Jesus also explains that the way a child believes is the way we should all believe and not to hinder one from that belief. Then we get to the story of the rich young man. He asked Jesus what he must do to be saved, and Jesus gives him the Ten Commandments, which the man says he has done, and then Jesus tells him to give away his wealth and follow him. This floors the disciples. But it's not just because the rich man wouldn't give away his riches, but they themselves didn't have that money, and they certainly weren't perfect. So who on earth would be able to do that? But Jesus explains, just like in the case of this man's money, it is not the actual riches that are left, but that we are sacrificing everything for Christ. And he explains, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Kelly, side note, there is a theory that I personally lean into that the rich young man was actually Mark, because only in his gospel is it shown that the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. And as we will find out later readings, that Mark was wealthy, but he would give everything up to follow Jesus. And then we see the parable of butlers in the vineyard. Now, this can sometimes be hard to get as seen through more modern lid lenses, so let me clarify. This is talking about those of us who get saved, quote unquote, except Jesus Christ is our savior, early on and do all we can for the kingdom and that we will share in the same reward, being in heaven with God for all eternity as someone who comes to be saved later in life or dies soon after salvation and weren't able to do the same work as those who started early. Now, this is a very basic outlook of it, but that is essentially the gist. We will get into more details later once we start on Paul's letters as he addresses this in more detail. Then, as Jesus and the disciples are headed towards Jerusalem, he once again warns the disciples of what is to come. He will be delivered to the chief priests, that he will be condemned to death and will be handed over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and then kill him. Three days later, he would rise. 
Then we meet the Sons of Thunder's mother, which, considering her sons, would make sense why she is so bold in her request to Jesus to have one of her sons sit at his right hand, since we know Jesus will be sitting at the right hand of his father. And for those unaware, sitting at someone's right hand is a sign of power and prestige. Jesus is like, I don't get to make the decision. It is for whomever God has chosen. Meanwhile, the other disciples can't even and are wondering where that audacity was sold because she probably bought it all. But Jesus brings them over and explains what they need to do is what he is doing. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And while Jesus was at it, he healed two blind men. Then in Luke 19, Mark 11, and John 12, as Jesus is in Bethany, we are entering the time before Jesus is killed. We celebrate part of this today on the Sunday before Easter, calling it Palm Sunday, because of what we read that happened to Jesus before he was turned on and killed. First, we see Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, take her pint of pure perfume and pour it on Jesus' feet and wiped it with her hair. Some disciples... Judas, were upset because that was a lot of money. But Mary understood who Jesus was, and Jesus praised Mary for her faith. Then, as they are making their way to Jerusalem, they are at a festival, and Jesus tells them the time has come and also explains that if he doesn't die, then the will of God and our eternal future cannot move forward. And to show the humanity part of Jesus, because he was 100% man and 100% God, he says out for everyone, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from earth, will draw all people to myself. Then, as the people are murmuring and going back and forth over their beliefs, Jesus cries out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. After this, Jesus and his disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem. Jesus tells his disciples to go to the village ahead of them, and they will find a colt there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it back. If anyone asks why, tell them the Lord needs it. And so they did that, and sure enough, someone asked them why. They give the answer that Jesus told them, and all had no issue with that. As Jesus rode the colt, people began to spread their cloaks on the road. Some were laying down palms to him as they cried out with joy and praising God over all the things that Jesus had done. The party poopers, aka the Pharisees, of course, were not okay with that and laughingly tried to tell Jesus to get them to stop. And Jesus like, no. And even if they had kept quiet, even the stones would cry out. As they are passing to Jerusalem, Jesus gets hungry and goes to pull a fig from a fig tree that looked like it should be bearing fruit, but it was in fact not, and Jesus curses the tree. And the disciples are amazed that the tree has fully withered by the next day. If you are anything like me, you want to shake the disciples over this, but then you realize if you would look in the mirror, honestly, you're just as misunderstanding at times. And you have the Bible, so really, what's our excuse? And once Jesus is near Jerusalem, he weeps over it, knowing that what is about to take place and how truly unknowing we as humans are. He goes once again to the temples, driving out the sellers and all the ones who weren't supposed to be there, and yet again, he has to deal with the Pharisees. 
In Matthew 22 and Mark 12, Jesus continues in the temple and people are asking questions, especially the Pharisees and Sadducees. Jesus explains in parables the answers. The Pharisees even try to trap him. He didn't pay his tax to Caesar or not. Jesus calls them out on this stupid ploy and responds with, you hypocrite, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. They had to walk away. But the Sadducees didn't, because unlike the Pharisees, they didn't believe in a resurrection, so they were hoping to get better answers from Jesus, and tried to trip him up by asking who a widow would be married to in heaven if her husband died. She married all his brothers as each of them died, as was the custom. I have no doubt Jesus was perfect with his facial expressions, so I would love to see the look on his face when this question was asked. I know it's not the one I'm currently sporting, but I'd still be interested. He answers them, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. That would be a my drop to the Sadducees. Then the Pharisees, seeing that someone else got a taste of that medicine, but not smart enough to shut up, try to come back and ask him what the greatest commandment was. And of course, Jesus responds, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law of the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus also gives a warning about teachers, preachers, and or anyone who has authority in the temple, later the church, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquet. They devour widows' houses and for show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. And that is where we stop for this week. So... If you have any reactions, questions, thoughts, or words you need to throw my way, please do so at my website, bmepodcast.com. Have a most fabulous week, and I will talk to you in the next episode.